The word yoga, as most of you doubtless know, junction, yoga, union, all these words are basically from the same root. And so likewise, when Jesus said, my yoke is easy, he was saying, really, my yoke is easy. You're listening to the Yoga Podcast. Podcast. Hello, Emily. Hi. How are you doing? Good, how are you? Thank you so much for coming on to the show. This has been... Uh, it's been it's been a, a work in process in getting us together, and finally we are here. So I'm really excited to yeah. ask you a lot of questions and and dive deep into what it is that you're up to. Uh, this is a question I always ask my teacher uh, teachers that that come here, and I'm interested in your journey about how you became a teacher and what that all looked like. You can start from the very very beginning. We got lots of time, so really break it down for us. Uh, so that I get a really a real sense of where you're coming from. Okay. Um, I guess the first time I was ever introduced to yoga was in college. I went to performing arts school in Toronto. Mm. So it was a two-year intensive program. It was really intense. We did singing and dancing and acting. Wow. And for our movement class, they brought in a yoga teacher. And we were doing all these sun salutations, and I had no idea what we were doing, and I hated it. It's like, this sucks. And so that was the last time I did it for probably three years or four years. And then after school, I graduated and I moved to Los Angeles and, um, was acting there. I stayed there for two years and, um, was going to the gym and really at that point wanted to lose a bunch of weight, even mm. though I probably didn't need to lose any weight at all. But you know, you're acting in Los Angeles and casting directors tell you you need to lose 10 pounds. And so you're like, okay. And so there was a yoga studio down the street from my house and it was Bikram. Oh, like Bikram studio. I practice with Bikram sometimes like wow. the man. Yeah. Uh, His Jaguar was like parked in the, in the parking lot when you walked in. And so I started doing Bikram and I got addicted right away. Um, and I think I had my first breakdown and the first backbend that we did. Mm. I was just like sobbed my eyes out. I was like, what is this? And I had a lot of, um, I think healing to do at that point. I didn't really even notice it. And I really needed the mental discipline. So you look at yourself in the face, in the mirror, you're forced to literally look at your shit. And that was the first time I think I ever looked inward that deeply, even though we did a lot of that in performing arts school. And then, um, so I did that for about six months. And then my friend was like, do you want to come to a studio in Santa Monica? That's donation based Brian Kess studio. Mm. So I said, sure. But, um, I was really devoted to, to my Bikrams and, uh, we went there and the teacher played music and we did this really amazing flow and I was taken again to another level. Hmm. And I think at that point I had had the sequence of Vikram down pat and I wanted to flow. I wanted to move my body. I wanted to get back into more of the dancing feel that I was so used to. And so I started to go to Brian Kess studio and I loved it. It's great. And then I moved to Vancouver. I wanted to be back in Canada and I needed a change. And at first I was wanting to play the American market and the Canadian market with acting. Um, but I think deep down inside, I, I knew that I was done with LA. And then, so I moved here and got an agent and I was like, Oh, I'll just be here for three months and then I'll go, I'll go back to Los Angeles. What and, made you decide to go to Vancouver? Um, because it was close to LA, it's a cheap flight. And, um, 
I was like, oh, I'll just meet with a few agencies here. And then I got an agent and it was obviously really beautiful. I think I landed on a sum- summer sunny day and the mountains were showing and I was like, this place is amazing. The best of the best. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So I made my decision really fast, which is mm-hmm. unlike me, which is another sign I needed to get out of LA. And, um, anyways, I was acting here and serving and all I wanted to do was go to yoga. Every time I got an audition, I was like, I don't really want to go. And I wasn't really reading any acting books anymore. I wasn't really wanting to nurture that craft. And all I was doing was going to yoga and, and reading yoga books. And so one day in class, I was like, what am I doing? What, I need- what studios were you practicing in Vancouver at that time? Um, I practiced at uh, the Yaletown Yoga before it was Y Yoga. Ah, gotcha. The good old days. It was an awesome studio. I never got to experience that. Oh, it was awesome. Hour and a half classes, mm. sweaty, mm-hmm. um, a lot of partner work, which is basically how I learned a lot of the more advanced po- postures. What were yeah. some teachers that you practiced with at that time? I was really devoted to my time slot and my teacher, mm-hmm. uh, who was uh, Paige Ferrasi. She's not teaching anymore, but she inspired me to teach. Mm. Yeah. She opened my eyes to a lot of things. She's on Salt Spring Island now making beautiful clothing. Wow. Mm-hmm. She used to be part owner of the town. I'm not sure. Not sure. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And then you were a student at that time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Keep going. Yes. Anyways. Okay. Cool. So anyways, then I, I spent most of my time on my mat wondering what am I going to do? I don't want to act. I hate serving so much. And so I was like, well, maybe I'll try this teaching thing. Cause I feel like I have a lot to share and I think it kind of relates to acting in some way and experiencing your emotions and expressing yourself and being up in front of people. There's a lot of similarities. And so, um, I was also really into Anya Sara. So I was taking Christine Price Clark's classes and Shawnee's classes and really loving the pace of that practice. And so, um, backing up a little bit before I did my training, I saw a poster at the studio for a retreat to India. And I really, really, really wanted to go to India at that point. I was serving and hustling my ass to try to make enough money to go to India. Mm. And then there was this retreat with, uh, Christina Sell, who's an Anusara teacher. So I was like, Oh, I love the practice. I don't know anything about her. She's going to India. I'll go. And so I went for a month, two weeks with her and then two weeks traveling. Wow. Yeah. Did she blow you away? She was great. Yeah. 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 I still look up her YouTube videos Mm -hmm. if I need inspiration or if I need to break down a posture and I don't know how, um, she's amazing YouTube videos out there that are really inspiring. So I still draw from her teaching a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've heard great things about her. Mm -hmm. Never practiced with her, but just, you know, a lot of teachers mentioning her name and, and saying, go, go practice with her, go learn from her. Yeah. She's great. The practice is a bit different though, because we did a lot of traveling mm. in, in and out uh, through India and uh, we were really tired and people were sick and yeah. often we didn't have a space to practice. So oh, we didn't practice every day. And when we did, she really had to modify it to the group too. I was mm-hmm. the youngest one on the trip. I think I was 23 and everybody else was 40 plus. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So it was different. And then you came back and decided to do a training. Yeah. And then I saw another poster. Those posters were, I getcha. <laughs> now it's all on Facebook. There's no more paper. It's print true. Posters, I know. Right? Yeah. You don't need them anymore. Anyway. So I saw a teacher training with Chris Chavez, mm. who was teaching the Anyasara style. And I also had never practiced with him before, but heard great things. And so I did my training with 50 other people. It was huge wow. and, um, really intimidating because almost everybody was a teacher. We had people in there like Megan Curry and Shawnee was assisting. We had a lot of the Y yoga center managers were in there, like Alex Atherton, Kelly mm-hmm. Colleen, everybody. And there's only maybe a handful of us that weren't teachers. 
So we went deep really, really fast. I was like, I just want to teach people how to get into triangle <laughs> when we were talking about these layered themes. Yeah. And so it was, it was hard. Did you feel like you got what you needed for all that training, even though it was that in that way? Yeah, I did. But I definitely had to come out learning the basics, mm. how to get people mm-hmm. into postures. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then you start teaching right away after that? Yeah, I started to teach in my house and at community centers. And I would travel an hour and a half one way to this company to teach them corporate yoga. Yeah. And I taught a lot for free at the beginning. Uh-huh. And then... Um, Again, we were really lucky because a lot of the center managers were in our training. So mm. we were kind of on their radar. Yeah. And then Alex Atherton kind of took me under his wing. And he's wow. like, I'll give you a class in Richmond. And then I taught at North Shore. I used to teach at 10.30 p.m. to 11.30 p.m. I would take two buses and this the aqua bus or the sea bus there, get home at 12.30. Holy smokes. Yes. They even had a 10.30 class. Yeah, but people came. They loved it. Holy smokes. Yeah. And this was like a weekday? Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then it went to like further places, like where you're teaching now. Did it slowly just transition that way? Yeah. And I was still serving at the time. Mm. And I remember my last shift, I actually put in my two weeks notice and I was done with serving and that felt so good to be able to teach full time. And I felt like my, my job, because it was such good money, my serving job was kind of a crutch for me. And I knew that I really wanted to pursue the yoga career, but I knew also that I had to let go of that security in order to force me to start to create more opportunities yeah. for myself in the yoga world. Yeah. So did I went from a lot of, uh, a lot of income to n- not a lot. Not <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So did it feel like a, a big leap of faith to jump into what it is that you're doing right now? It was, but it, it felt right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it had to happen. I mean, serving is not easy. And I was serving really late, like four in the, till four in the morning, really difficult customers. I'd come home and cry most of the time. And so I was just waiting. I knew what had to happen. I was just waiting for the day when I was ready to put in my two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, and what was the calling, uh, that you heard when, when you started to, when you decided that I need to leave serving and, and pursue something different, what was that calling like? I would, I mean, I don't think I'm that intuitive. I'm trying to be more intuitive and I'd like to think that one day I will consider myself an intuitive person, but that call was so strong. I don't think I've had anything that strong in a while where it was so obvious what I needed to do. And I think it's there in front of you the whole time, but the work is to actually see it. So I saw it one day in class when I was still acting, still serving. And I was like, whoa, I actually think that I could be up there offering something. Cause I really felt like I had something to offer. Mm-hmm. And I was reading all these yoga books and I would highlight really good points or quotes that I liked and I'd compile them into a journal. So I have, I think three journals now of quotes from different books that I've read, mm-hmm. which is really good to draw on from if you're trying to theme your class and you're like, Oh, I'm not really inspired. Let's see what my magic journal has. You can flip to a page and be like, Oh, that's, that's a really good quote. Right. And I, I'm really called to that obviously because I put it in this book. Right. So it basically summed up all the books that I was reading. Uh-huh. Um, so I had all this inspiration come at me and I just wanted to talk about it with people and share it with people. So the call was really strong. It was, I felt really connected. Mm-hmm. So the call was, uh, an internal feeling yeah, and it just came to you as an inspiration one day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And people were asking me like, Oh, how are you? What's new? And all I wanted to do was like, Oh, I found this practice of yoga and mm. 
it's changing me mentally, physically, emotionally. Mm -hmm. It's really turning me on to life. And I could feel that spark inside when I was talking about it as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you have any doubts at that time? About my decision? Yeah. No. No. Mm -mm. Fear? Yeah. Yeah. Fear of why, why me? Why, what do I, how can I serve? And will people listen to me? Mm -hmm. All those doubts, Mm -hmm. being up in front of people. Mm -hmm. And then into the first year of your teaching, I remember also going to community centers, teaching at corporate, corporate places and lugging around a big bag full of props and, uh, going to fitness centers where like, they're just blaring Rihanna in the overhead speakers, you know, obviously not ideal scenarios to teach yoga, not what we think, uh, a yoga teacher would be like and having to deal with, you know, different types of students. What kind of things came up for you in that first year? Um, I think I understood that this was just part of the process and it needed to happen. And I felt really grateful to teach it all and really humbled by it. Cause I knew that I had a lot of kinks to work out. And so I was okay to do it. Mm. I was grateful to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was interesting, especially doing a lot of corporate classes. And I taught at the Vancouver club once, which is interesting. You start to, to really be introduced to different types of people and a lot of people that aren't the typical yogis. So that was, that was different. And I wasn't ready for that. I don't Mm. think for those types Mm. of people that aren't as open as your Mm. yoga community. Mm -hmm. Was there any point like during those first couple of years where you feel like, ah, I made the mistake or what am I doing here? Like, um, am I really cut out for this? Do you have those, those kind of concerns? I didn't, I don't think I had them at the beginning, but now I definitely do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like every month I'm like, what am I doing? Is huh. this right? Should I be doing this? Mm-hmm. Should I be doing something else? Is there a mm-hmm. call for something else? I'm not seeing it. Mm-hmm. So now six years later, having really been established, you're teaching at the probably the studios that you all want to teach at and a great schedule, right? Uh, lots of dedicated students coming to your classes. And now at this point, you're questioning uh, with the fears and doubts and concerns about what it is that I'm doing. Like, where is that coming from? Is it coming from a place of finance? Is it coming from a place of personal calling and, and purpose? Is it coming from a place of, I don't feel inspired or motivated anymore? Like, where is it from? I think it's from a few different areas, financially for sure. Mm-hmm. I think getting older as well and seeing your friends that not aren't yoga teachers, they're not really in the circle that are your age too, that seem to be getting ahead of you. But I know deep down inside, that's like, what is getting ahead? Mm-hmm. What classifies that? Mm-hmm. What, what's class, what is classified for you as moving forward in your career? What would be some steps, for example? Yeah, I think that I think that feeling, I mean, we get a lot back with our profession. Mm -hmm. We get a lot back in other ways that aren't just financial, which Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful for. Um, But I feel like I would feel more valid as a yoga teacher and I'd call it a big girl job. I don't even call my job a big girl job yet. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh, you're going to work in your your pantsuit. Do you have a big girl job with a briefcase? Yeah. But actually, I did my taxes yesterday, and I'm like, mm. whoa, this is a big girl job. Mm. 
I can write stuff off yes. every year. I'm making more, which is a good sign. I need yeah. to remember those things. More opportunities are coming my way. You work for yourself essentially. Yeah. yeah. I create my own schedule. I can has, have as much time off as I need. I just, I'm not limited to two weeks a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would like to feel a little bit more secure. Yeah. Um, financially, I put a lot of work into my classes and into what I offer. And I think getting a little bit back would feel really good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just knowing 10 years down the road, you have more income to buy a house or, or support a family. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, like yeah, that. I think that's a big one too. Like I'm in a serious relationship and we want to make certain steps now. And I don't want to feel like I can't because I can't financially do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to have a little bit of, you know, cushion and savings and, I'm getting way better at managing my money now. And I think that should be a really important part of the teacher training actually is how to do your taxes, mm. um, how to put away a little bit each month. Mm. Um, I'm only learning how to do that now. Yeah. And it makes a difference mm. and it makes you feel like you're making more because you have savings right. because you're learning how to put it away. Yes. Would you say that's one of the key things that you've learned? Are there any other strategies that you've, that you've learned along the way that would be helpful? That's definitely one strategy. I would just say sticking with it, I think, because the longer you do it, the more you're going to learn, the more you're going to build studentship who will trust you and who are going to come to the things that you host, like Mm -hmm. workshops um, and retreats and all that stuff. Finding your niche is a huge one. Finding something that you love, study it, get really good at it, and then offer it, teach it. And it comes from a really authentic place. And I think with that, if you're moving from a place of intuition and your heart, people will sense that and they'll be more willing to support you. And then the finances will hopefully come Mm -hmm. from that. And it feels, it feels like you're not, you know, as desperate. You're just, it feels like you're not, I don't know how to describe it, but it feels more authentic and you feel more deserving of that, that income when it comes your way. Right. Yeah. I do get what you're saying. Yeah. I've also personally have had to battle with those same, uh, dilemmas about how am I going to support myself down the road? You know, when I was younger, like 20, I've done this for six years now. So when I was like 24, I'm thinking, oh, like I'm not thinking about retirement. I'm just thinking about teaching yoga. This is something I love. And at that time I was still living at home. And then I eventually moved out and had my own place and, you know, living in, I was living in the suburbs and rent wasn't as expensive as it is me now living in Vancouver. So the realities are becoming very real, right? They're, they're very confronting and it's in front of me. And now, as you say, I'm also getting older. I want to settle in and and do different things with my life. And I'm projecting my future, like looking five years down the road, do I see myself doing this? Uh, I don't know, right? 10 years down the road, do I still see myself doing this? Because the further down I go, uh, the less time I have to perhaps switch to a different career and then specialize again, mm-hmm. yeah, to really pour my heart into something, mm-hmm. it does take a lot of years. Right? Yeah, it does. So but it's never too late. It's Everyone never keeps too late. telling me it's if you want to go back to school, mm-hmm. it's never too late. Like my mom mm-hmm. went back to school. I think she was 50, 52 or something like that. She did four years at U of T. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's never too late. I don't think, but it's more daunting. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I also don't want to switch just because I I see myself five or 10 years down the road that, 
this isn't something I, I see myself doing. It's more like me seeing myself in this crossroads. What is, what is the real calling that I have inside that same spark that you and I uh, had in the beginning? Um, is that spark still there or is it somewhere else? Mm-hmm. You know, I have to really question that. I also believe if your heart is in whatever it is you're doing, the, the finances, the money will flow that way to support you in doing what it is we're doing. Um, but you're not the first person that's also, you know, raised this concern, mm-hmm. right? I think we're all trying to figure out a system or a way to make this all workable. Yeah. And it's something like, is is this a career where you, there's a potential to even make the money that you want to make? It depends how much money you want to make, what you're comfortable with. And True. I think what you're used to, what your upbringing was, we had a lot of opportunities as a kid. And I feel like I want to give my kids the same opportunities because that's all I know. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, we love what we do and we're so lucky and our schedules can be really great. Mm-hmm. And so do I want to go into a job that I'm like, nah. I don't love it as much, but I'm secure. And so I'm happier in other ways because of that security. Yeah. I don't really know. Mm-hmm. And so right now you're teaching public classes, retreats, workshops, and do you see yourself offering other things outside of that too? Yeah. So I remember my first week of teaching Nico came to my class and gave me feedback, which is great. And then he's like, um, he was really real with me. He's like, I think you need to get another career other than yoga because it's really mm. hard to just be a yoga teacher. Mm. And I'm like, whatever, like watch me. You know? <laughs> and then like six years down the road, I'm like, Nico, you're right. Yeah. So I think it's really important to try to have something else on the side that mm. might open other doors for you. If you have another passion at that point, I was like, well, I don't know what else I'm going to do. I just left another career. I just left two careers to mm-hmm. do this yoga thing. And I'm so gung ho. That's all I know right now. Um, but on the side as well, I do um, doula work. So I work with women who are expecting babies mm. and um, I'm just getting into it. And that was another spark that has come up for me. And I'm just trusting it. I'm like, I don't know where this infatuation of childbirth is coming from, but I'm rolling with it and I love it. And it really lights me up. So I'm going that direction a little bit. I don't know how far I can go because of the yoga teaching schedule. It's hard to be on call. Um, but I've kind of dabbled in and fantasized also about going back to school to be a midwife, but I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. That'd mm-hmm. be four years of schooling. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know if I can handle the medical side of it all. I mm-hmm. really like the emotional and physical support that the doula brings. So we'll see. But mm-hmm. I mean, that could be an answer one day down the road, but yeah. I don't know. It's, it's exciting to know that I do have that if I need it. Yeah. And then in terms of teaching yoga, do you see see yourself expanding further, say going, traveling, traveling worldwide or offering teacher trainings? Um, do you see yourself doing that? I think at the very beginning of my career, I don't know if everybody else feels this way, but you look at those teachers that travel and that have, you know, hundred people in their workshops and they're at Wonderlust yeah. and it's something that you're like, whoa, I want to do that. And, uh, the longer I do this and the older I get it, I don't want to do it. I don't want to try. I don't like traveling as much without my partner and I'm becoming way more of a homebody. And Mm. I really like planning my roots now and building my community here in Vancouver. Like I just ran into a student on the street. I'm late because I was talking to her, you know, your community is here. You see them every day. I'm really into that. Yeah. 
And so I don't know. I mean, if the opportunity presented itself, I mean, I would, I, I would do it. I would go travel if, if that was the case. But, um, I think that also teacher training is definitely on my list. My retreat partner and I have been talking about it a lot and her and I have really different styles and I think we complement each other really well and I trust her and we've worked together for a long time now. So I think that's something that one day down the road, um, maybe next year we're going to offer. That's cool. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. I've seen you do a lot of retreats with her. Uh, recently you went to Guatemala. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you also have one on salt spring too. Yeah. Um, probably different experiences, I would assume. Um, can you tell me a little bit about each one? Let's, let's start with salt spring since it's closer and, and the next one is also coming up too. Yeah. So, um, we've been there seven times. So we do one in the spring and one in the fall and the programs really complement each other in the spring. We do intention setting and seed. We literally plant seeds, sunflower seeds, mm. and, uh, we do work around this intention that we build throughout the weekend. So not only yoga work, but it's even almost somatic therapy. We do dance, uh, we color, we create mandalas with big bottle of wine in front of us. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah. And we, answer journaling questions and we do sharing circles. So it's, I mean, we are doing yoga, but we're also doing really deep work too. And I think the people that come there know that hopefully, and they're open to it and they want it. Yeah. And then in the fall, we create a slightly different program with a different theme where you're kind of digesting the summer and you're looking back at your, your seed to see if, if it's growing or if it's changed. We don't get a, we get a few repeats that do both. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, the fall one is more about going inside and reflecting. We do blindfold Hatha yoga. Cool. It's a little bit more chill. We have a campfire. Hmm. Yeah. What do you like about offering retreats? What's the best part? The best part is getting to know people on a different level and really cracking them open and seeing what's going on for them. I feel like in public classes, that's really obviously hard to do because you don't have the time there's a lot of people in class, you know, sometimes you don't feel comfortable sharing, but on retreats, I feel like you get to know people on a really deep, deep level and you have really amazing discussions and you become so compassionate of these people that you just met. Mm -hmm. And you also see that we have a lot in common and we're all going generally through the same stuff at different times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What are some, uh, in your experience powerful exercises or things that you do at these retreats that you've seen people open up and, and reveal themselves or, or you, where you see transformation happening. Mm -hmm. A few of the activities, obviously when we meet in circle, sharing circle, it's all optional if you want to share, but we do set these journaling questions and then we have discussions around them mm. and everybody there's always a crier. And once one person starts or like, Oh, here yeah. we go. Yeah. Okay. Where are the Flood tissues? Gates are open. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. So definitely that cracks people open. Um, Sue offers acro yoga, partner yoga. So we do therapeutics, but we also do fun things like flying and a lot of people get up there, they fly and they are like, I never thought I could do this. We mm. get people, a lot of people with injuries that come, you know, older women above 60 or men, that are like, there's no way I won't be able to fly. And they get up and they have this breakthrough and they feel really liberated. And yeah. a lot of people have a hard time working with people and touching people, which is understandable. So that cracks that wide open for them. You have, you 
really don't have a choice. Like, hey, it's after <laughs> time now. Yeah. Everything's optional. Sure. But um, so that's really powerful. And then we also bring a Kundalini dance facilitator with us, Martine. Mm. And um, that's something that a lot of people are like, ugh, I don't know about this. And they try and they do it. And it's also something that's very liberating for people. You just move however you want to for an hour and a half. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. I've I've laid down in my puddle of tears after that exercise. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, these retreat environments, I think, are very special because when you spend 48 hours in, in this type of container, you really get to build trust with your teacher and, and other people around you, too. And lots can happen in those those two nights, right? That's mm -hmm. all it really takes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I always come home feeling different every single time. Hmm. I feel really open vulnerable, compassionate, and really available. It's amazing how your daily grind in the city um, can really shut you down. You can put up walls really quickly. You don't have time for people. So it just takes getting away from the city in a beautiful environment, eating really good food, mm -hmm. being with great people. And mm -hmm. I come back feeling really different. Yeah. Yeah. I also know when I go away for whatever particular reason, whether it's me offering a retreat or going away for a retreat, that, yeah, I do come back and, and change one part of my lifestyle where I want to maintain a bit of that, uh, that, that essence of retreat in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And it can create a change of scenery and a fresh perspective for a lot of people. A lot of people come with a lot of stuff on their plate, big issues, mm -hmm. and they need to step away from their lives for mm -hmm. a moment to digest what's going on, to come home with an answer or with some sort of softening. Yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. Now, recently you also went to Guatemala. Mm -hmm. Was this your first time? My first time, it was Sue's second time. Sue's second time. She's our scout. She goes off and she uh -huh. scouts places for us so that we know that the food's good, the bed's comfortable, right. it's safe. Right. What was your experience like? It was great. Mm -hmm. It was great. It was really, really rustic. Um, so we stayed in Antigua for two nights, which was beautiful. And we did a coffee plantation tour. And then uh, we drove four hours to Lake Atitlan, which is magical. You've been there. Yes. Yeah. And uh, the retreat center we stayed at was built up in this rock. So this rock face, you had to climb 20 minutes up into it. Wow. And uh, two beautiful yoga shalas. The food was amazing. But rustic, like two compost toilets, two mm -hmm. outdoor showers that, you know, anyone could peek into those showers really easily. No yeah. mirrors, uh -huh. but everyone was really gung-ho about it. Uh -huh. They're the camping type, the type that are okay with not wearing makeup. and Just rugged. Yeah, it was very rugged. It was great. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we volunteered in the village, which is amazing, mm -hmm. um, with an organization called Hell. So what they do is they provide one meal a day for people there that are malnourished. And it's a big problem in Guatemala, especially around that lake in the villages. And so we learned about the organization. They prepared a meal for us. And then we went and basically turned this rock field into a garden so that they could plant um, seeds in order to grow food to feed back to the community. And they hire locals to tend to the gardens, which is great. Mm. So we, yeah, I think we spent four hours rock picking and scraping and we had music blasting and it felt really, really good. It felt yeah. good to do something and to work with your hands and to volunteer. Mm. Yeah. To make it, uh, not just about yourself practicing yoga and having that balanced well-being and, and lifestyle, but then giving it back to the community that you're a part of there yeah. too. Yeah. 
That's amazing. Yeah. And then you feel like you're integrated because sometimes you go away and you're almost like gawking at the locals there. There's this separation that happens and mm-hmm. you're a tourist, like they're on display and it, it feels weird. It doesn't feel right to me. Right. So we wanted to, to be with the local people and ask them questions, ask them about their culture. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of culture in Guatemala, which is great. Yes. There's still a lot of people that are that don't speak Spanish, that wear their traditional dress. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of culture. Mm-hmm. And we also try to stay at um, eco-centers, so centers that are really wise about how they distribute their waste and how much water they use. And um, both Salt Spring Island and this retreat center are permaculture farms. And the one on Salt Spring is an organic farm. So in the fall, about 90% of the food we eat is right from the soil that we walk on all weekend. Mm, That's amazing. Yeah, the food's great. Yeah, food alone at retreats make the difference, I think. Totally. And on Salt Spring... It's the chef, one woman cooks for us. She's amazing. And I go back for thirds. The food is so good. Like I want to advertise the food more than I do Sue and I and what we offer. You could sit on the side when we do yoga. That's totally fine. But if you're here for food, I totally understand. Yeah, exactly. Uh Yeah, it's delicious. And you notice such a difference in your body when you eat like that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's great. Mm -hmm. What would you say would be... um, What's something that you've learned along the way when when offering retreats, whether it's been the most recent one at Guatemala because it's a longer period of time or just over the time of like going to to, to Salt Spring over the seven times? Mm-hmm. Selfishly, the retreats feel really good to me because they're our baby and I feel like it's my business now with Sue. And that feels really good to actually have an idea and to put it out there and to nurture it and to see things growing from seeds into retreats where people are actually coming. Like I'm always shocked. I'm like, I can't believe you actually still want to come with us. Mm -hmm. Like you want, you want to come on this retreat with us to Guatemala or whatever. So I think that whole process, you learn a lot, especially business wise. So you learn how to manage your time. You learn how to put on an event. Um, You learn how to respond to emails, put out fires, And being with people, especially on a week-long retreat, you learn a lot about yourself. It's a lot to be with, you know, 19 people on a rock face for a week. Mm -hmm. When you're going through a lot too in a different country, specifically in Guatemala, like people had a bit of tummy issues and they're not in their environment. They're not in a place where they're safe. So things always come up. So you have to learn how to work with conflict. And I hate conflict. Like I avoid it at all costs, but it's forced me to like, deal with it and to make sure everyone's getting along. And if I have to talk to somebody about something that I do it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So I guess being a leader. Yeah. Yeah. And, and holding space for these people. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I mean, I've heard this theory where there's two types of people. The first person gets their nourishment from being around people Mm -hmm. and that lights them up and that feeds them. And then the second person is more like me where I need to be alone. Like I need to retreat. I need to be by myself. And then I can go back out into the world and be a good human. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're on your retreat, this retreat specifically was really interesting for me because I couldn't get that time to myself. And I, there was literally no space to be by myself. Yeah. And you know, you also want to get to know the people that are on your retreat. So that was interesting for me to be like, okay, when you can't find that isolation, how can you still find nourishment when there's, when you're deep in community, mm-hmm. when you're around people? Mm-hmm. How did you manage to do that? Uh, 
I'm still learning how to do that. <laughs> I need to excuse myself and, you know, just go into, into the room and yeah. be less involved. Yeah. But I also, I was thinking about it this morning, actually. I think, too, being mindful of how much energy you're giving off, even in a conversation, like I'm one to make sure there's no silence in the conversation and I'm the one asking the questions and making sure the space is being held and everyone's getting along and you don't always have to play that role. Mm-hmm. Even if you're in a group of people, you don't have to drive the bus. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed that from the few retreats that I've hosted too. I, I'm the same way where I need to go back home. Don't bother me. Let me kind of just cozy up in my own own space so that I can then go out and feel recharged. Um, and you're right, like being around other people, you feel responsible for them. You feel like you need to lead the group and make sure everybody is enjoying their time. They're well accommodated too. And then... Yeah, there's a time where I felt like I either have to set a boundary so that I can go off and and do my own thing so that I can come back and be fully present. Mm -hmm. Or it's trust that everyone amongst themselves is is already uh, connecting with one another. That I actually don't need to do anything or change what's already happening. It's and they're adults too. Like totally. you have to remember that like they're, they're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And I think retreating with a partner is really, really key because if I, you know, I'm feeling low that day or I don't have any energy, then I can be like, Hey Sue, can you hold this one for me? I, yeah. I can't. Yeah. I definitely had to do that with my partner too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's great. It's great to collaborate with somebody. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Where do you think your next retreat's going to be uh, outside of Canada? Uh, I think we'll do Guatemala again just because we did it before and I retreated after the retreat to this beautiful beach in Guatemala. And when I think Guatemala, I don't think beach, Mm-mm. but we found this beautiful black sand beach for three days it was amazing. So we went there to kind of recharge and relax. Mm-hmm. So we might go to the beach if there's a center we can find. Um, but my retreat partner wants to go to Bali. She lived there till she was 12. Wow. Yeah. And so she said that she kind of could probably still speak the language. And so we're looking at this retreat center that's also an eco center. But yeah, maybe in two years, that one's going to be a big one. It's far. It's far to get there. It's expensive too. It's a bigger commitment for for students, I think. It is. Right. Mm -hmm. But Guatemala is also not an easy trip to go to, in my mind. Like you got to fly to Miami first, then fly into Guatemala City. Yeah. Then you got to take a bus through some pretty rugged roads Mm -hmm. through you know, to get to the place that you need to get to. Yeah. But that's the kind of travel that I I really like and appreciate because I feel like I, again, am part of the culture Mm -hmm. and I'm learning about the culture and Mm -hmm. the history, which is how I like to travel. I Mm -hmm. don't think that I could sit on a beach and just drink margaritas at an all-inclusive, which is fine. Yeah. People like that. And that's, people don't have to think, you know, where Uh their next destination is with that kind of trip. But we wanted to create a retreat that was also an adventure that's just not about the yoga, but also experiencing the country. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm all for that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just think if you can get to Guatemala uh, and and make it to the lake, then you can probably do Bali too. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, you're talking about during the times in retreat how someone can uh, discover something about themselves, or they feel that there's this environment that's really safe for them to open up. And you mentioned that in the very beginning. Of, of this talk about how going to Bikram was kind of like that moment for you where you go into a deep back bend and something just cracks open, right? Yeah. Um, do you remember some significant times in your own personal practice, your own journey, student or teacher, where there were those 
break comfort moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, when did that happen? What, what was it all about? Uh, tell, tell us a little more. Well, I think the time in LA was always when we were doing Art of Shalambasana, so belly back bends, and you would rest between sets and just rest your cheek on the floor and mm. let the floor hold you. And I think I was just struggling so much to book a gig and to compete with all the other actors in LA and to try to be the person that the casting directors wanted me to be. There was so much struggle and so much awkwardness, and I didn't know who I was at all down there. I was also younger. And I think when I could let go out of that back bend, my whole body, like my whole being let go and I stopped struggling. So I think when your muscles can let go like that and your mind doesn't have to work, the emotions just, the ones that you've been stuffing really deep down, they overflow. Hmm. And then you have a huge emotional release, whether it's just a big sigh and you're like, whoa, I just sighed out 20 years of my life there. Or you're crying and you're sobbing and you're ugly crying. the other time i was in pigeon it's always the hips too because you store so much crap in your hips Mm. a lot of tension in your hips for us especially as a sitting culture i was in pigeon pose going through a breakup it was in clara's class i had you know my two girlfriends my friends who are teachers too on each side of me and i don't know they're just like really this magical vibe and they all kind of knew what i was going through and Oh, you know what? It wasn't pigeon. It was we rolled up our mats and put it in our gut and laid on it. Have you oh, done that one? Yeah. That's also the, a good one. Mm-hmm. Anyways, and again, I just kind of let go and surrendered to what I was going through. I think I was fighting so hard to be okay in this breakup. And hmm. I think she probably said something like, let your belly hang into the, the knot or that ball that's in your gut. And I did. And it was like, whoa, there's something there. And it just I had no control. Hmm. It feels so good, though. Mm-hmm. I don't know why we fight our emotions so much. Well, they're scary to look at, mm-hmm. right? But it feels so good after. Well, for sure. I can remember that. For sure. Mm-hmm. Were there other moments outside of the yoga practice, other types of workshops or um, personal development trainings where there was breakthroughs for you too? Mm, I don't think so. Or just like, moments in your life? Oh, man. Experiencing childbirth is life-changing. Mm. I remember my first or second one, I came and taught a class the next day and a student who I know really well came up to me. He's like, you're different. What's up? I was like, oh, wow. I saw birth yesterday. I feel different. I feel really different. Those really put things into perspective. Mm. It's such a ancient ritual birth. It feels like you're part of something that's really old, but really magical. And it's such a phenomenon that our human bodies can do this. Um, yeah, it's just really raw. You lose concept of time when you're going through it. You know, you forget about Facebook and your notifications. You're so in the moment. You're so in the moment. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't experienced that yet. You should. Mm. Yeah. I also want to ask you, in terms of yoga, everything that you can put underneath the umbrella of yoga, teaching, being a student, uh, the career itself, the industry, the community of yoga, what do you think is underdeveloped and you would like to highlight as in bring more emphasis, bring more into the light? That's a tough question. Um, I would love to do and see workshops or 
events that are a little bit more intimate. Describe intimate. S- mm, not as many people. Uh, time to have discussion, to ask questions. And workshops that aren't so much about nailing a handstand or an aversion, which are great too. But maybe workshops that incorporate yoga and other parts of your life um, where you can actually go and have discussions with, with people and then do yoga or something like that. Mm-hmm. Just more of a, of a connection to realize that we're all in this together and we're all human. And I have a hard time going to workshops that are held with these quote unquote, quote, famous people where there's a million people in the room. And mm-hmm. I don't feel like that teacher is a human or like on my level or they're not talking my language and it's really out there. And I'm just like, come back down to earth and speak English to me so I can relate to this. And I can actually see that you've gone through it too, or you're going through it as well. Usually what you teach is what you're going through. Mm -hmm. It's a little secret. (laughs) Um, so just admit like, this is my, my theme today. This is my lesson. I'm really working on it. I'm, I'm still working on it. A lot of the times I would love to open up a public, public class to be like, this is my theme today. Sounds like I've mastered it, but I haven't. Can we talk about it? Like, I would love to hear what you guys have to say too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because your students have a lot to teach you as well. Absolutely. What kind of discussions do you think people are yearning for? Like what kind of questions or what kind of uh, topics are people wanting to, to discuss? Yeah. Um, I would like to discuss and just talk about how a lot of the practice has become really physically focused, Mm -hmm. which is fine. But I feel like a lot of people are going for their workout and everyone goes through that stage. Like I went, I was going to lose weight. That's why I went to do yoga. I wanted to get my ass kicked. I wanted to sweat. I wanted to like drop, I don't know, 10 pounds or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I think at one point, yoga is going to get you. It's going to get you and open up more doors where you're like, well, there has to be something more than just this physical workout in my muscles. Um, I don't know. I'd love to have an open discussion about why yoga has gone that way. And I'd really like to sit, especially my students down that I can see just like kick their own ass and always have to do the hard pretzel pose, even though I'm teaching something really simple, like mm-hmm. what's going on for you? Why do you feel like you have to do that? But also honor that that's the part of their process and maybe Mm -hmm. it serves them. Maybe Mm -hmm. they are feeling really good doing that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Do you find you're able to bring some of the intimacy that you're describing into your public classes? I hope so. Yeah. That's my goal. Mm -hmm. Um, I teach at a really small studio, actually my retreat partner studio on Commercial Drive. It's called Unity Yoga. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know it's there, 10th and Commercial. It's my favorite yoga studio. I they hope I can say that. Too, they right? have a tea lounge. Yeah. You sit on the floor uh, like we're doing right now. I love sitting on the floor. And so you can only fit 15 people in that mm. room. Know. Everybody knows everyone's name because when you sign in, you write your name on a whiteboard. It's really old school, but it's great. You can see your students sign in. Oh, that's her name. I see it. And then you learn their names and Oftentimes at the start of class, we sit, we go around the circle, they say their name. Um, if they have a request, they can throw it out and how they're feeling. And people actually say how they're feeling and without any guards up. It's really refreshing. The other day we went around and talked about um, how, why they love yoga. 
which is really powerful. Mm -hmm. And then we did yoga and the practice automatically was so deep and so intimate and people are starting to hang out outside of the studio because they've met at the studio and they know the face to the name. So I feel like at that studio, it's really easy to access that kind of intimacy. It's harder in, in bigger classes for sure. Yeah. I've noticed that me coming from the suburbs and teaching very small classes. Like when, if I ever had 20 students in a class in the suburbs, that was, I was like big. Mm -hmm. I was like, Whoa, never seen this many students. Mm -hmm. So like the average number was anywhere from 10 to 15. And it's a very different environment when you have that number and the same students coming back again and again, seeing the same faces and being able to have those kinds of discussions, mm -hmm. right? It, it makes the practice very personal, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I have found it challenging in other studios where just the sheer number. It's not that there's anything different about the person that's coming or the studio itself. It's just the sheer number doesn't really allow for that. Mm -mm. So I, I miss, I miss that aspect. I miss, uh, really getting to know a student. Mm -hmm. Right. And even at the bigger studios, if you have people that are coming back and you get to know who they are, there's a small sense of community there for sure. Especially at Y Yoga where you collect tokens. Mm -hmm. I mean, we all rolled our eyes and we're like, oh my gosh, we have to collect these buttons. Like, ugh. But I really like it because you can actually ask about people's injuries, if they're pregnant, if they're new, and you can have a discussion with them before practice starts. And that gives you kind of an inside scoop on what they're going through. And those students that you really start to get to know, you can go by, get their token and be like, Hey, how was, mm -hmm. how was your trip or whatever? Or mm -hmm. how's your baby doing or mm -hmm. how, whatever. You can have a small discussion, even if it's like two seconds. Yeah. I think the barrier to entry in terms of creating the intimacy is a little bit higher in the bigger studios, but the potential is then that much greater too, because the, sh the sheer numbers is also going to allow for a much bigger uh, community mm -hmm. that that could be possible. It just I think takes a little bit more time and effort and and um, attention. But yeah, I also do feel it's slowly creating that. Um, I personally just need to get over get over my own fear about bringing people in and having these same discussions. It's still possible. It just takes a little more time mm -hmm. and uh, a little bit more. Tactful. You have to be tactful when, yeah. when doing it, right? I think people also, if you're in a classroom of 60 people and the teacher's like, okay, come close, yeah. I'm going to have a chat. And it's so much more intimidating for them too, because there's that much, yes, that many people in yeah. the room. And in, in a room with only 15, it's hard to hide. Yeah, it's true. So you're just like, well, we're all going around. Let's, let's, it's going to be your turn eventually. <laughs> yeah. Whereas if you're in a room of 60, well, and you pose a question out there, well, I, I don't have to say anything because it's like, it might not ever get to my turn. So I'll just not say anything because it's, it's hard speaking up in public, right? It is. Yeah. yeah. And being vulnerable if you don't know the rest of the people that are in the room. Yeah. And I think also on the other side of that, a lot of people have days that are really stimulating and they're talking with a lot of people and they already have a community and they just want to go to their yoga to have time with themselves. They don't want to talk to anybody maybe people are going through some really intense issues or things in their lives. And I think also it's important to honor that and, and just to sit and close your eyes. And I don't think it's necessary 
to also connect all the time either. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can create a sense of connection if I think really skilled teachers can do it. Very few, I think. I think it's something that you have to practice and build, but you can say, okay, let's sit up tall, close your eyes. And there's silence, but there's some kind of energy that grows and mm-hmm. and brings people together. This vibe, this like you can cut it in, with a knife in the air is created and I feel connected mm-hmm. even though we haven't talked mm-hmm. or looked at each other. Mm-hmm. And there's a feeling of community there. And I think the space is really important too. Yeah. But the vibe of the space is like mm-hmm. Yeah. And and the people that work there, how it's cultivated from the very beginning of someone stepping through the door, mm-hmm. what's what what their experience is like mm-hmm. uh can all shape their experience as a student. Yeah. And even to setting up the room, like the way you've put the lights, if you're playing music, if you've chosen not to play music and I don't like to play music personally at the start of my classes, because I feel like, again, we have a lot of stuff coming at us in our everyday life. And some people just want silence and a lot of answers and information and epiphanies can come in silence where you can actually hear them. And like I said, I, I remember this one class. I was really excited because I made this sweet like African playlist. I couldn't wait to play it. And it was so upbeat and I was mm-hmm. feeling good. And then um, I went around and was collecting tokens. And one of my regulars looked really upset and started crying and telling me what she had been through. And I was like, oh my gosh, it was terrible. And my mood completely changed and I switched my playlist. It's so hard to accommodate everybody and what they're going through, but you also, I think, have to be really mindful to those big issues that Mm -hmm. people are going through and they might not want to have a good time and dance around to African music, you know? So it's really hard to find more of a neutral place and also just be a facilitator Mm -hmm. to let people go through what they need to go through Mm -hmm. and almost to take yourself out of the equation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. In terms of what you're teaching right now, what are you trying to bring to your students? What's, what's a core message or uh, a really key teaching that you're working on right now? It changes so much based on what is inspiring me or what I'm working on. I think what I'm reading mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. What about in this moment in the past week or month? What's been very inspiring for you? Um, well, I'm reading this amazing book called Women Who Run With the Wolves. Mm. And it's basically myths and fairy tales and stories of the wild woman archetype. And it's helping not just women, but everybody tap into their wild side and their power, their voice. And I'm on a chapter about creativity right now. And this quote that I really liked that, that I read in class was that um, everybody can be creative in their own way. And... uh Creativity is not a a selfish thing because you're becoming fed by it, but whoever experiences the fruits of your labor also are getting inspired to go off and then branch off from there and do their own thing. So it's your most valuable asset is what this book says, but it also warns to not get addicted to other people's creativity and what they're offering and putting them on a pedestal, which is so interesting because I feel like this happens a lot with yoga teachers obsessing about a teacher and thinking they're God and putting them up on this pedestal and forgetting about that. Oh, I actually have my own journey. I need to live and I'm neglecting it. I also can be creative, but because I'm focusing so much on this person's creativity or what they're producing, 
on their visions that I'm not actually nourishing my own and babying my own and creating my own seeds and daydreams and visions. So mm-hmm. I highlighted that one. It's like, that one's good. That's huge. Yeah. My partner told me that she read that and it just changed her life. Yeah. And I never really dived into it and asked her what it was all about, but you know, it sounds amazing. Thank the you book? for sharing it. Yes. It's a really hard read. It's yeah. really hard. There's some big words in there. I'm like, honey, <laughs> what does this word mean? Pull out dictionary.com. Like, Siri, what does something mean yeah. on my iPhone? Uh-huh. I have to reread sentences. It's it's a masterpiece. Yeah. And I think there's something really powerful about reading myths too. Mm-hmm. It's timeless. Yeah. We don't do it anymore. We don't tell stories. And mm-hmm. she just, the author whips out. She's like, oh, here's another story from my childhood. Oh, here's another one from my grandma. I'm like, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Don't know any stories from my, my bloodline. Yeah. 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 And I think stories encapsulate so much and so much imagery and, and teaching and wisdom that mm-hmm. comes from stories. Mm-hmm. Um, very cool. I also want to ask you, what do you like most about teaching? And then also on the flip side, what do you dislike the most? Tough questions, Leo. Um, I could sit with this one forever. I love, I don't know what I love about teaching right now. I love a lot of things. What about, what do you dislike then? Oh, that's a hard one. What do I dislike about teaching yoga? Or what challenges you? Mm-hmm. You may not dislike it, but it's challenging you at this moment. I would say, and I talked a little bit about it before, um, I think what's really testing me, and I think it's probably work that I need to do and look into why this is challenging me and why it's bugging me, but... I think when I'm teaching what's called a power class, and I think that the class is challenging, but I'm also making sure that it's balanced because I don't want my students to go home and not be able to walk the next day mm-hmm. or get pushed so hard that they get a headache or that they actually leave angry, which happens to me. If if I get my ass kicked too much, I actually leave so fiery and I don't know why. And I'm like, oh yeah, because mm-hmm. I pushed myself too much in that class. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I'm offering something for a strategic reason and a student is like taking it to the craziest degree... And it's just like, well, what's wrong with holding a warrior too? It's actually really hard if you sit in your shit and breathe and experience the shape of warrior too. Like it was created for a reason. I have it in my sequence for a reason. Mm-hmm. Why do you have to go up into bird of paradise? <laughs> like why? Yeah. And that's cool if you want to do that. And you're you, maybe my practice isn't as advanced for you mm-hmm. and you're just trying to cater it to your needs, which is fine. But for some reason right now, it's really bugging me. That's mm-hmm. challenging me for mm-hmm. sure. And a lot of those students have a lot of fire to burn and they just... They just need to go through it at that point in their lives. And I went through a stage two where I like really wanted to get postures and I was yeah. obsessive about it. And I think that's a stage we all go through. So what happens like when, when the student decides, you know what, I'm going to take it a little further and you see her or him going off into that shape. Is there something that you do inside of the class or are you trying to respond internally? Mm-hmm. It's internal. I try yeah. not to let it become personal yeah. or react to it or, Instead, celebrate them. Be mm-hmm. like, awesome. That's actually a really nice bird of paradise. Good mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I I try not to look at them in frustration instead. Try to be compassionate yeah. in the moment. Yeah. And support them. And mm-hmm. and yeah, just try to hold the space for everybody else mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Got it. And something that I'm really loving about teaching yoga right now is those moments where 
we all can find common ground or we're doing something. And then I have this like bigger picture moment where this moment's so serious, but then it's like, whoa, wait a second, you guys, what are we doing right now? We're adults like kicking up into handstand. It's kind of funny mm-hmm. where you, that moment kind of cracks and everybody has a good laugh. I love those moments. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes that I'm funny and I come home and I retell my jokes to my partner and he's like, that was not funny. It's not funny at all. They're You're not all funny moments, at all. Yeah. But I'm like, you had to be there. Like totally. we were in this like crazy bind and like everyone was so intense. And then something happened that was hilarious and I pointed it out and we all had a good laugh. Like I really appreciate those dry humor moments when I go to class. It's kind of making fun of what we're doing a little bit. Keeps yeah. everything into perspective. Yeah. I've had a student uh, come up to me once. Uh, I really like your classes, but you got to stop the dad jokes. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, she said it was like, you know, she said it with heart and it was just trying to be funny, but mm-hmm. uh, saying, cause I, I, I have a just sort of a weird sense of humor and mm-hmm. like, kind of be just corny, you know, mm-hmm. or cheesy. Some people uh, will get it though. Yeah, right? totally. Like, it's not for yeah. everybody. There's a few laughs and it's great, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and you don't have to laugh either. Yeah. Like I catch myself too, if a teacher cracks a joke and I'm taking the class mm-hmm. and I'm like, eh, I missed that. Or it wasn't really funny. Like, I also would be like, okay, Emily, you don't have to laugh. Like, you don't have to support the teacher either. Like, you can still ujjayi breath and don't feel bad about Uh not holding space for the teacher because you're just trying to hold space for yourself right now. So if nobody laughs, I'm like, whatever. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I think also too, I have to watch myself being like, oh, I can make a joke right now. It'd be really good. But... Is it for me or is it for them? Exactly. Yeah. 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 I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I do love those moments where it's very just spontaneous. And yeah, like, those are the best kinds, right? Yeah. Where it's not planned. Yeah. You just say it. And the best is when you don't mean it to be funny and people laugh at you. You're like, oh. <laughs> I was actually serious about that. <laughs> yeah. 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 You can find enlightenment in this pose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Duh. Cool. Um, where are you in your own practice right now? Because I get the sense that uh, asana is important. However, there is also a place it can take you. And and it sounds like you're moving in other directions in terms of what it is you're practicing. It may not just be your physical body. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your daily practice like? Um, well, I'm trying to meditate more. Um, not because I think I have to. I used to think that I have to meditate because I teach yoga. Mm. But because I actually see a difference in my mental state and the way that I teach, if I meditate before I go to class, it's, it makes a world of difference. So I've been trying to meditate daily, even if it's for like five minutes or 20 minutes. Um, and I've set up a really nice little nook for myself. So it's comfortable and I'm drawn to that, that place. And I have to, sometimes I'm just like, oh, my mind is all over the place. I'm busy. I'm feeling anxious. I know that now that if I hit my little cushion, I'll come out of my meditation on the other side. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I've been trying to incorporate more meditation because I know that it really serves me now. I can see that. Um, and a lot of my home practices, I mean, I try to get to as many classes as I can, but sometimes I just want to plan a class at home or I want to be in my space. I want Mm -hmm. to light incense. I want to play the music that I want to play and I want to do the poses I want to, I want to work on. A lot of the times my home practice now is kind of turning into a little bit of a, like a 10 minute dance party mm-hmm. because I'm finding ecstatic dance and Kundalini dance, which is what we do on yoga retreat is, is my yoga practice right now. I just want to move my body in any way that feels good. And with this type of ecstatic dance, 
you can really, as in yoga, watch yourself when you're judging yourself or when you're looking around at others and comparing yourself and you can pull yourself back and be like, okay, what's going to reconnect me to this moment and to my body. If it's tapping into the music or if it's feeling my body move in space or so it's really good with the self-critic, I think. And it feels good just to move your body in all different kinds of ways and moving every single part of your body and aligning with the music. I'm a big music person has been really therapeutic for me. Mm. Do you see yourself leading something like that in the future? I don't know. I had this little epiphany in Guatemala, I think in a after ecstatic dance, because our Kundalini dance teacher couldn't come. So I said to Sue, I was like, I really want to dance. It's my jam. Mm-hmm. And I love making playlists. And I've been making playlists for a really long time because I used to figure skate and we would do routines for my parents. My poor parents would have to sit watching <laughs> us do this, like these land figure skating routines on like the carpet. And we would make, we would actually cut our music. So we would, it always is a fast piece at the beginning and then a slow piece and then a fast piece at the end. So we would edit th- with tapes mm. and we'd make our own music. So anyways... Being creative, that's one of the ways I'm cre- I feel like I can create is to make these playlists. So Sue's like, okay, why don't you make a playlist? So I made a playlist and we did ecstatic dance and I facilitated it. I don't think very well, but the place, I thought the playlist was good and got good feedback. So they ended up calling me at the end of the retreat, DJ Maha Millen. <laughs> Sue calls me Maha Millen. Yeah. So it became um, DJ Maha Millen now. Oh. So I had this epiphany anyway in Shavasana. I was like, I want to go to DJ school and learn how to I don't know, is there such a thing? (laughs) And like learn how to cut pieces together and then Uh facilitate ecstatic dance and DJ at the same time. And Uh I had this amazing fantasy about it in Shavasana. And then I woke up and I was like, "Mm, I don't know. I can see like real life DJs sort of saying, oh, that's really cute, Emily. And just patting you on the head. (laughs) I know, I know. know. Go back to just your record tape recorder and make mixtapes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think though, too, I have to be careful. I don't turn hobbies into professions Mm -hmm. because I've basically done that my whole life. So I'd like dance just to be for me. Sure. Mm -hmm. And to let other people facilitate and receive Mm -hmm. that, Mm -hmm. which is important when you're always the one holding space. Absolutely. What was the question I just asked you? What I'm loving in my yoga practice or what I'm doing in my yoga oh, practice? Oh, yes, your practices. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, those are, are very, like, those are set practices. What are you practicing conceptually in your life? Uh, for example, I'm practicing uh, practicing communication in my relationships. Uh-huh. Yeah, or... Um, I'm trying to cultivate a, a different type of relationship with, with my parents, you know, from like parent child relationship to more of like an adult peer to peer relationship. Um, is there something like that that you're particularly working on? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Communication is a big one. I think, Mm. um, specifically with confrontation, I find that I kind of eat conflict. I eat my emotions. And especially if I feel like someone has hurt me or, um, done something, yeah, that has hurt me. I find that I just brush it aside and I don't even go there instead of opening up the conversation to have a dialogue around it. Um, I mean, with my family and my partner, I'm, I have no problem. (laughs) (laughs) Unleashing yourself. Right. Yeah. But I think, um, specifically with friends, Mm. Um, when there is that sense of intimacy, but they don't know you as well as your family or your partner actually being like, no, that wasn't actually good. What you said to me and 
just learning how to speak my truth a little bit more and honoring myself. Mm -hmm. It's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, It's particularly hard with friends because they can be, it can be taken the wrong way. Right. And it's always, it's very easy to also lose a friend. It's easy to make a friend. It's easy to lose a friend Mm -hmm. too. Yeah. And yeah, no one wants to be that friend. That's like a jerk or, 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 you know, labeled as a bitch. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I don't want to be walked all over either. I don't want to be taken advantage of, or I don't want to say it's okay for you to be late when really it's not. Right. Yeah. And I think too, I, I am such a lover and I love my friends so much that if they do something that hurts me, I'll put myself second mm. because I love them so much. And I'll be like, oh, it's just how they are. Um, but I, I love them and I know I can just push it to the side and continue on with my friendship, you know, but mm-hmm. it's bound to catch up with you and it's bound to eat you alive and it's bound to create really bad habits. Yes. Yes. And I'm trying to take on the perspective when, when dealing with things like that, that if I let it slide, then I'm taking away the opportunity for me to offer them a perspective about what I think is another, is a, is a more appropriate, appropriate way to conduct yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. I may be wrong, but let's at least open up the discussion about it Mm -hmm. so that one day they may also do that same thing for me too. When, when I'm showing up and not, not, you know, living with integrity or, or just not being honest or true Mm -hmm. that they would do the same for me too. Mm -hmm. Uh, they've always been scary when I, when I, when I bring up a conversation like that, but the friends who stick around, uh, the relationships are just that much deeper. Yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's a constant theme that I'm realizing is coming up for me and I haven't actually addressed it. Um, I have a good friend who I can hash out what I'm going through with her and, She's really wise. She's also like a teacher. And uh, I'll be like, oh, I'm having this issue with this friend. And, you know, I'll, I'll kind of talk to her about it. And she's always like, well, did you talk to them about it? And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> ah, I didn't. Okay, I didn't yeah. again. She's like, uh-huh. start the dialogue. And the way that she can have dialogues with people is like an art. It's so seamless and graceful and worked through in a really – I can tell she's really worked on it. So that's really inspiring. Mm. Mm. Do you have a lot of friends that are yoga teachers? Yeah. Yeah? Mm-hmm. I do. Mm. Yeah, I'm lucky. Do you end up talking a lot about yoga or uh-huh. is it just kind of like, <laughs> uh, you know, been there, done that, that's enough, let's talk about other things or... Well, we try not to, but, you know, we talk shop a lot. Yeah. Like if we get together and it's mostly the girls that are yoga teachers and then there's that, that one person that's not a yoga teacher, mm-hmm. we're always like, sorry, we're going to be talking <laughs> shop with chocolate and yeah. wine in front of us. Yeah. Um, you should probably be a yoga teacher yeah. just so you could fit in with us. Right. Yeah. But I think it's a way to find support and mm-hmm. be like, look, this happened for me in class. Did I do the right thing or should I have done this? Um yeah, it's, it's really important to mm-hmm. feel supported. And I'm just lucky that, um, a lot of my community are either, um, students who've become my friends. A lot of the people that come on retreat, mm-hmm. you stay bonded really tightly afterwards. And, mm-hmm. or a lot of my friends are yoga teachers too, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. how it kind of went. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's something I'm certainly calling out for more in my own life because I've moved communities, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm newer, so I have to you know, go out there and, and make the connections. Mm-hmm. 
And it is also a little tougher, not that bo- boys and girls don't mix together, <laughs> right? True. But at the same time, if you know, are talking shop and painting your toenails, I <laughs> feel a little bit... We actually have done that. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I'm not surprised, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I'd get a text message saying, hey, Leo, like, come by, we're doing this and this. I think you would really have a great time. Um, you know, that's just, it, it's harder to find men who are also yoga teachers where, you know, you know, we're doing our own thing too at the same time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It is hard. I don't even know how we, it all started. Like, I don't know how it was initiated mm-hmm. or how we all got together. Or mm-hmm. I, I was trying to think about that the other day and I was like, I don't even know how this all started. Us getting together like this and supporting each other and mm-hmm. bouncing ideas off each other. Mm-hmm. I think it just becomes a very organic thing. It does. Yeah. I don't think it was anything that was forced and we're all kind of outgoing and you share commonality. So it's easy to get together because you know, you have something to talk about and there's no anxiety around that at the beginning. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I would do without them. I feel like I would be really lost Mm -hmm. and I would feel like I'd be going crazy if I didn't have a sounding board to help me work out situations. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true of like, any profession, mm-hmm. having somebody to having a, a, your own personal inner circle or community that you can go to, mm-hmm. right? Uh, in terms of your teachers, do you have some primary teachers that you are really inspired by and that you practice with, learn from? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Christina Sell, I mean, she's not here, but I do refer a lot to her teachings, mostly for, um, the asana practice. Mm -hmm. And then I really love Anna Forrest. I love her book. Um, and I love just, she's such a badass, crazy woman that has been through a lot, which she shares in her book. And she shares about how yoga has helped her through the many trials and tribulations of her life. And I've studied with her with, at workshops and such. And her style of yoga is very different. So it's easy to draw from because it's not really being taught here. So if you want to teach something that's really anaphorous, it's kind of fun to throw in the mix. Mm. Um, and then I learn a lot from the teachers here, actually. I feel like if I go to anyone's class, I'm inspired or I learn a lot or I'm inspired to do my own spinoff of a theme they're, they're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, I've done a lot of work with Clara Roberts Oss. Um, I love her flow. I love the way she teaches. It makes sense. It's safe. The pace is perfect for me. It's well balanced. And she does a really good job at facilitating the theme or the energy or just creating a container mm-hmm. where you feel like you're connecting to each other, but also this crazy sense of spirit. Mm-hmm. It's a very grounded spiritual practice with her. And she's no bullshit. Like if you want to know what your teachings like, if you want feedback, just ask Clara, <laughs> she'll tell you honestly, and she'll give you things to work on. Mm. Um, yeah. And she actually encouraged my sense of humor. She's like, you cracked a couple jokes. They're really quirky and they're so you like show more of yourself. So she really celebrates teachers who have found who they are and have brought that authentic self to the table when they teach. Mm. And they're not apologetic for, for who they are. I think that's, where I eventually, and I'm getting closer, would like to be is where I just don't give a shit if people like me or not. I'm myself and this is my offering. And if you want to learn, you'll show up. And if it's not for you, that's okay. You don't have to come to my class. Yeah. I feel like that's a journey that a lot of teachers have to go through in the beginning stages and, and sort of just churn through it and, and come to this point of, mm-hmm. of really just being unapologetic and completely yourself, uh, total in your teaching and just offering 
everything that you are mm -hmm. and then whatever happens happens right mm -hmm. and you go through a period where you're trying on what you think you should be doing mm -hmm. and you try on other people's styles but it's important to take them off as yeah. well yeah and be like oh actually i kind of want to teach this way and it's okay even though it's not quote unquote traditional or whatever mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and and clara has come or i've been to some of clara's classes before and I really appreciate her very personalized attention. Mm -hmm. Like she'll come up to me and give me adjustment and, mm -hmm. and communicate with me uh, in that moment while still communicating with the rest of the room. Uh, so you really feel like you're being seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and she's approachable and she's a real human. And mm -hmm. what you see when she teaches is what you'll get off the mat too, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is really important, I think. Yeah. Um, and you can approach her and you can talk to her and she's real and she's really balanced and... I really appreciate appreciate that in a teacher. I find it disheartening and frustrating and confusing. Um, if I mean everybody's human, but if the teacher is just not available, or they're putting on some kind of front, mm -hmm. like their their studio life and their uh, their everyday ordinary life, they're not congruent. Mm -hmm. They're not congruent. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, we're all human. We're all just trying our best. Sure. So as long as they're trying their best to incorporate and integrate what they're learning themselves on their mad in their everyday life, then mm -hmm. that's all that matters. Yeah. I get you. Mm -hmm. I'm looking through my list of questions. I feel mm -hmm. like, take your time. Uh, I got so much out of this whole conversation already. I want to wrap it up and encapsulate it into one last sort of final, uh, final shebang, I guess, okay. you know, considering that we're both in a very similar stage timeline wise, we're both six years into our teaching, uh, I assume similar age. I'm turning 30. Oh, you are this year. Yeah. I'm turning 30 Yay. this year. Right. So I'll be 31. Okay. July. Yeah. And that sort of general ballpark. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, moving into our new stage of our, of, of, a, of a life perhaps, What's some advice that you can give to somebody that is either considering pursuing uh, becoming a yoga teacher or in the early stages in the first um, five to six years of their teaching, you know, people that have less experience than us, basically, mm -hmm. what kind of advice would you give to them? Yeah, um, I would say to find a niche something that they're really drawn to. There's so many different ways to be involved in, in yoga or this lifestyle and to nurture it and offer it to the public. Cause you know, yeah. So that I would say to pace yourself, it's so easy to get burnt out and to feel like you need to be teaching, you know, 15 plus classes a week because everybody else seems to be doing it. And I've really worked on accepting that I can't work at the pace that a lot of other people work at and to take the pressure off and expectation off and to be kind to yourself and to not run yourself dry because you will dry out really fast in this profession and to also have balance. It doesn't have to be yoga all the time. You don't have to, you know, go to two classes a day and then teach three and then go to a workshop and then meditate. I don't know. Balance has brought me so much inspiration and I want to be more involved with what's 
going on around me and with life because your students are, and you're going to be more relatable as well. When you come and be like, look, I'm, I'm working on this, or I'm inspired by this that I saw on the news, or I think you become a bit more relatable. And I mean, the tradition of yoga is beautiful and it's so interesting and you feel like you're involved with history when you're taking part of it. But I think also it's important to understand that those are very different times than the times we're living right now. Mm-hmm. So find a balance between really living the external and trying on different hobbies. And, you know, if you're tired, curl up with a really, you know, raunchy romantic movie or something like that, or go take a dance class or do something that's not yoga. Because I actually, like I said, um, moments where I'm doing something that's not yoga related, like when I go to see a birth, for example, I come back so fueled and so inspired to teach and I want to be there and I want to share. So I think balance is really important and knowing that it's all yoga. Mm -hmm. It's all yoga. If you had coffee with a friend instead of going to class, but you had a really deep connection and you felt really present and honest, you just did a yoga practice. If you're tired and you find yourself, oh my gosh, I did this one day. I really wanted to go to class and I was like pulling myself to class because I thought I should and I need to keep up with my practice when really all I wanted to do is go to Whole Foods and get a huge bag of sour gummies and then come <laughs> home and watch the movie Wild because I hadn't seen it yet and I had the house to myself and it was raining. It was in the mm. winter. So I literally was walking to class and I checked in with myself. I'm trying to work on my intuition. I was like, Emily, what do you need right now? Honestly. I turned around and went to Whole Foods, (laughs) got my gummies curled up. It was like four o'clock. I didn't feel guilty. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so proud of myself. This is my yoga practice right now. Mm. Pressed play and enjoyed my movie. Mm. Well, I feel like this past hour to two hours is like doing a class together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just having this conversation has been very inspiring and getting this opportunity to connect with you uh, as a fellow peer, as a fellow yoga teacher, um, just want to thank you for your time. It's been amazing. Yeah. Thanks, Leo. Yeah. It's good to chat. It's good mm-hmm. to get it out there. Mm-hmm. Especially when, like I said, when you teach yoga, it's often just one-sided. Like you get sick of hearing your voice all the time and it's nice to banter back and forth. Um, so yeah, it'd be nice to, to have more of that where your students can ask you questions and learn from you and you can learn from them. Yeah. There's been so many students that have floored me with their insight and their intelligence and their view on enlightenment and the yoga scene. I'm just like speechless. They're my teachers. Hmm. I want to give you the opportunity to share, um, what's what you're offering retreats, workshops, and where can people find you? Okay. So I have a website, emilymillanyoga.com. My schedule is on there. Um, my events and workshops are on there. I have a workshop on April 23rd coming up. It's a Saturday night at Semper Viva City Center, which is uh, called Viola Vinyasan, which is basically a flow class with a live viola player who's very talented. He uh, brings a looping pedal, so he layers a sound. And part of the reason why I love doing yoga is because it gives me this experience where my imagination can go all all over the place. I can come up with ideas and it's, you get that feeling when you leave, like you've left a concert and you're really inspired to go home and like create. And so I wanted to create that in the yoga sense. So that's coming up a night of yoga and viola. And then, um, we have a retreat end of April to salt spring. Unfortunately that's sold out. Um, but we're starting to take reservations for our September retreat to salt spring Island. So that's September 29th to October 2nd. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you again. Thanks, Leo. Yeah.